if what we're teaching is threatened by easy access to information and other ideas, what we're teaching doesn't need to be taught. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Recovery Podcast. We're back. We've taken some time off. We have a new series today. Let me just reintroduce everyone. We have Alex Blanton. We have three failed pastors. I'm Kent Hodgkins, and then we have Nathan Wilkerson over here. Nathan Wilkerson. Here he is. He's toggling the screen. And we're starting a new series called Recovering Faith, and we're going to dive right in. Uh, this is going to really uh, attempt to uh, communicate the essence of our podcast and our ministry. And today we're diving right into why it seems that the it seems that the gospel is failing in the West or in America. Has anybody done a timeshare? Have you done that? Uh, to the present. Have you done? That's what I mean. Not not did you own one? I'm not asking are you are you a dupe? But uh, why a sucker? Yeah, did? yeah. Are you are you are you gullible? Yeah, <laughs> sucker needed to go into the presentation. Yes, twice. Nice. Yeah, you're a lightweight. It's a terrible experience. Both. I can't believe I did it a second time. Why did I do it? Oh, I'll tell you why. Because they offered me a free weekend stay at a nice hotel. So we've done it probably six times. <laughs> yeah. And so pray for me. Uh, it, thankfully, we haven't had to do it anymore. But we've had, we've had just these experiences. We had, we had one guy who, once he'd heard that we'd been to like three or four of them, he just made us sit and time out. He's just like, he wasn't going to waste his time on us. It's, he was like a, a Greek guy uh, and he had a really thick accent. And I remember Caleb was uh, our older son. He's 29 now, but uh, at the time he was like seven. And uh, so this guy is like, uh, at first when he doesn't know that we're, you know, uh, wasting his time, he, he turns to Caleb and he says, uh, you want a donut? And Caleb was like, what's a donut? <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was our experience with that. We've had, you know, all kinds of stuff. Had a guy, finally the last one. Uh, I had a guy actually walk us out and scold us for taking advantage of them. <laughs> I was like, oh, you poor victims. I was like, you called us. We didn't call you. You know, but anyway, um, and, and, it, and at one point I just kind of went on the offensive, I guess. Yeah, and I don't think I deserve to really go on the offensive, but I, but I, there was this one lady and she's got all the big jewelry and she's like, do you love your family? Are you a piece of garbage? And so those are my choices. And, um. And I told her, I was like, look, if this was worth having, you wouldn't have to work so hard to sell it. We'd be coming to you. And she said, oh, this is a high-end product. We have to sell it like this and all this. And she's like, you know, that's not true. We all know that's not true. But it really, as I was processing all of this, uh, it really got me thinking about the church and how we really offer a lot of free things um, in exchange for people coming to hear a 90-minute presentation. It's just every week. And so it makes me wonder if, if you are a, say you're just a, a cynical old so-and-so out there and you've not gone to church and to you, Christianity seems very foreign. Uh, and, and I think we're going to find that more and more people are going to say, why well, Christianity has enjoyed kind of this assumption that, hey, this is all true. But now we're going to really, we're going to start finding people who are like, what? They're going to hear these stories and they're going to say, are you mad? Are you insane? How could you even claim to believe these things? And, and, and so how do, we, how do we convince that guy to come and, and hear our 90-minute presentation? And if we tell him, well, we'll give you free things. We'll watch your children. We'll, we'll entertain them. We'll give you food and, and we'll play you great music. And all you got to do is listen to this presentation. And 
just as all of the work that it takes to get somebody to, to buy a timeshare, you know, just as that indicates that maybe a timeshare is not worth having. Does the watching world wonder whether all of this um, suggests that Christianity is not worth having? And I would say maybe, maybe, but I would say that those approaches are not working anymore for whatever reason, right? Um, the attraction model of church is what you're describing, and that's your terminology. And, and our point number one is the attractional church model implies that the gospel isn't a very good deal. Like the timeshare, the whole approach to selling it implies, if you're really watching closely, that it's not really a good deal. And why, why do we have to try so hard to sell people that we use all these sales tactics just to get somebody to take us seriously? Maybe that suggests that we've known for years that the message that we're offering isn't um, intrinsically appealing. Um, because I, I think as we're watching people defect from Christianity, because this isn't just the old skeptic out there who's got no experience with the gospel, these are. Our kids. These are others, uh, middle-aged adults, people who are just thinking critically and they're beginning to say, you know, I don't know. I don't care how much free stuff you give me. And, and that's, you know, eventually with the timeshares, it's like, I don't care, man. You can promise me the moon. I'm not going through this anymore. Um, and, and I think we're beginning to see that is the case. Um, and, and, with a timeshare, what, what I've noticed is, is that you are brought into this whole contrived reality. Everything is self-referential around the timeshare. This, this presentation isn't just people telling you things. It's you watching a video. It's you going on a tour. It's, it's creating an environment um, where everywhere you look, the, the message of buy a timeshare and be happy is being corroborated. And, and when you get out of that bubble, you begin to say, wow, whoa, that was close. You know, I, I almost got ripped off. Um, but within it, it makes sense. And you start thinking, yeah, this, this would be a good deal. I wonder if that isn't what has been happening to the, especially the young people who've grown up Christian. Um, and now they're beginning to think this is no longer plausible or tenable. Um, and, and so... I think the very thing that caused the church to to take a timeshare approach to get people in the doors is the same thing that's causing people to now leave Christianity. That's my contention. And that thing is um, the weakness of the message. There's something flawed about the message uh, yeah. is your implication, I think. That and and since we so since we intuitively know that we try to embellish the, uh, the message or create an experience for people that draws them in, like a timeshare. Uh, but in reality, people are not taking the bait anymore, incre incre increasingly. Which is point number two: the number of self-professing Christians has been plummeting in America over the past fifteen years. You cite the study that the number of uh, American adults who claimed to be Christians dropped from 78% in 2007 to 63% in 2021. 
And the numbers are a lot more abysmal as you go down in age. Gen Z, millennials, a much lower percentage of professed Christians, even below 50%, which in America is really low. I mean, it, we've been an outlier. The Western world uh, has obviously become post-Christian and has been for decades now. Um, somehow we've remained Christian uh, as a country. Um, and not that I'm saying that that's been a good thing. I think there's been a lot of messed up stuff that's come from the religious right and stuff like that. But um, I, we have several friends and um, who all just work so hard to raise their kids. And it worked, mate, worked harder than we did. <laughs> you know, sorry, kids. We, we tried, but we're just not as good as those other parents. I mean, those guys were good. They were great. Uh, and I'll tell you those, I can't fault a single one of these guys. And I can, I can count on maybe two fingers. The number of kids that still actually go to church, uh, or believe in God from among our friend group. Um, there's just not many, the majority have defected, um, and, and many of them are very hostile toward Christianity. So where do we lay the blame? We, I don't, I would never lay the blame on those parents. I, frankly, in America, the bar for parenting is so, so low. <laughs> if you were there and you fed your kid and you didn't abuse them emotionally or physically, you're in the 98th percentile. I, I, I mean, I hate to be so cynical, but it, you know, family is hard. 98, probably not. It's probably too cynical. So we'll say 80th percentile, but there are, you know, single parent homes and, um, you know, so much, so many, so much dysfunction in the family in America that if man, if you stayed married to your spouse and you took your kid to church and you love them and you raised them and you provided them even a modicum of guidance, man, give your Give yourself a pat on the back and do not blame yourself for what's going on with your kids. But something's happened, that there is a change, you know, the spirit of the age has changed. What is that? I'll let both just change People are leaving uh, the faith. People are feeling more comfortable with announcing the fact that they are no, no longer identifying as Christians. And this is increasingly true. Uh, uh, in, in among the younger generations so what uh, yeah so what's changed what's changed yeah so in the last 15 years we see the numbers plummeting um if the you know if if the uh attractional model of the church itself hasn't changed what has changed right yeah it's like okay this used to work but now it's not working anymore mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah well, and I would say that the attractional model was a smokescreen for the deficiencies that were inherent in the system. It's a Monty Python reference there. That the deficiencies were there, have been there. It's just that we've kept people in this self-referential bubble. We have used a bait and switch that Christianity, at least in America, has enjoyed some implicit credibility, which we wouldn't give any other belief system. If somebody comes up and they, and they tell you some of these outlandish things, like a guy being in a fish's belly for three days or the sea parting and all these crazy events happening in the sky, we would laugh them off. We wouldn't take them seriously. We wouldn't say, oh, maybe I shouldn't be so hasty. We would just be like, come on. Right. Uh, but Christianity has enjoyed some implicit credibility um, and that 
frankly, people have been limited in their access to opposing viewpoints. We had the bubble. We had the self-referential bubble, like the timeshare experience, um, where once you're on the grounds, then everything just seems to make sense. It just just seems to make sense to get a timeshare. Uh, But then the the world changed and we've we've blown the bubble. In 2007, a lot of things have changed in 2007. If you bring up Pew or Barna or uh, Gallup or any of these other polls, what you'll see is, is that there are dramatic trends that all began in 2007, um, that there's this plummeting of religious faith, um, the change in viewpoint regarding gay marriage. Um, but it was only right around 2000 uh, that Bill Clinton got the Defensive Marriage Act or whatever it was, you know. So here's the left, um, you know, putting something in place, attempting to uh, create an enduring legacy of marriages between one man and one woman. Um, And now that there's this, how could you say such a thing uh, that it it borders on racism to suggest that marriage is between a man and a woman? Um, And and so there's obviously a seismic shift that has happened in our culture since 2000. Uh, If you look at the history of humankind, this kinds of shifts just don't happen. This is unprecedented. It's disorienting. They, you know, they had to fit a new generation in between Gen X and millennials because time has moved so fast. The world has changed so fast. So if you were born between 1980 and 1987, you are a geriatric millennial. Your life was different from somebody born in 1988, right? Because the world was so, has been so affected by the constant presence of the internet. And in 2007, we got the internet in our pockets. It's that constant availability to a world of ideas that has, I think, kind of burst that bubble. So uh, we would say that the, uh, we might lament and say, well, no, no, you know, people are defecting and all this, but, but in a way that there's a positive side in that, that was a lot of that was illusory. Um, and, and so people were and are expressing their Christian faith in ways that are very unchristian because when they are being indoctrinated in this bubble, they begin to naivete becomes a value. Yikes, are, are we producing people that Jesus would be proud to have, you know, on his side? Or are we producing people who are choosing to be bigoted? So I would say that the whole, the whole religious right thing, I mean, there, during these years when, um, say, these big youth conferences, one thing, uh, these ministries, promise keepers, uh, you know, it was a while previous, but... All these ministries, this, this what seemed to be kind of a, a Christian revival at the end of the of the twentieth century, <laughs> but along with that was a lot of leveraging of political power, and that the way that you express your Christian faith is by voting Republican, boycotting Disney. This doesn't, this doesn't look like Jesus. Uh, and I'll just be frank, this flag waving stuff and all that, it just isn't him. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He says it point blank. Uh, what do we, what are we missing? Uh, and yet that those have traveled together to such a degree that, that most people can't tell the difference that we, we can't imagine the idea that our vote is spiritually insignificant. Somehow we think 
being a citizen of this country and um, trying to force other people to do Christian things, whether we say those Christian things are letting in immigrants and being loving and merciful, or whether we say those Christian things are keeping it in your pants, that either side that's trying to force other people to do Christian things has completely missed the Christian message. You know, if, if, if this captain of industry, if Elon Musk doesn't want to give his money to let people in, I can't say in the name of Jesus Christ, you let the, why, you know, that Jesus didn't come to arbitrate and adjudicate for people who aren't believers for people who are then, then within the church, we're going to have, you know, things like discipline and accountability and stuff. But for people who are outside to try to force them to do what we think is merciful, isn't a Christian thing to do. But, but we can't possibly conceive of that. Our churches, for many years, the, the draw has been come and have a happy family. Look at the billboards. Like, you're going down the road. That's the dad. He's got the kid on his shoulders and the loving and beautiful wife is, you know, she's laughing and she's got the other kid's hand. And experience life, it says, come to First Baptist Church. And, and, and that's what we're selling. We're selling nuclear family Christendom. We're selling 1950s morals and virtues and values. Um, and of course, we're going to talk about family values out in the public sphere. Man, how many of these family values conversations have been, if we let the liberals get their agenda, we're going to lose it. And it's like, that's fear. That's a fear-based message. Where does, where does the gospel have room for that? How do, how do we get to this? We've got to fight these other citizens of America or we're going to lose this idyllic vision of family. Um, that's fear. And it's not Christian. The sad irony of that is in fighting that way to protect, you know, their, their definition or their sense of what family is. Sadly, they're losing their family anyways. So the politicization, the political, um, mobilization of Christians and of the Christian faith is a fundamental misunderstanding, misreading of the Christian faith. And it could, and, and that's true whether you're uh, politicizing on the right or whether you're politicizing on the left, I think is your point. Right. Because although most Christians identify with the right, there are those who identify with the left and they're equally wrong um, if they're progressive causes that they're pursuing as Christians, they have the same fundamental misguided idea th that they're that uh that they're making their faith about this world yeah not it's not accurate to to, to um what i said about uh, i want to i want to clarify so the problem is not that they're making their faith about this world but the problem is that they are uh, politicizing their faith and seeking to use coercion it's an application of you know what you asked alex give me an, an example of how christianity has become corrupt uh in this way and and you said that they are losing their family anyway, and and you're right. And and the reason is because we are in a time of unprecedented individualistic thought that we are affluent enough that we don't need a wider community to exist. Um, I was just talking with a friend from Albania the other day. He was shocked because he was he works in a um in a wood shop and and one of his coworkers is a young adult who's unmarried and has moved out of his mom's house and is living on his own in an apartment and Tommy's like what is happening why would you have one person in this house and one person in that house paying double rent double utilities 
and now they're, they're alone, they're lonely. This just did not compute and I have to agree with him. But in, in Albanian culture there, they obviously they have a longstanding cultural values and, and that drives them, but they're also impoverished. They, they are under resourced from our standards so that if you had an unexpected death in the family or an expected death uh, and funerals are expensive. Um, and in, in that culture, if, if somebody dies, you're expected to come to the home of the grieving family to have coffee. And, you know, when you drink your coffee, you turn your cup upside down and you put money in it and you, and you leave and everybody keeps track of who came to coffee and how much they gave. Cause when they have somebody die, Yogi Berra said, go to other people's funerals. So they'll come to yours. Um, that there's this social um, equity in that culture that we don't have. But uh, that's an aside. It's simply that we are in a very individualistic culture. So we are self-reliant. And, and because of that, we think we have the right to define ourselves. And so now we're at this idea that who's to say that dad's supposed to go to work and mom's supposed to stay home or that you have to have a husband and a wife to raise kids. There is this resistance now to uh, a set of expectations and now Christianity has been so bundled, you know, you, you're being handed a way to be if you were raised in a Christian uh, home. You were given a prefabricated way to be and, and that feels like a violation. Uh, that, that feels like someone has been, you know, um, psychologically, personally uh, violated. And so, uh, there's a pushback against that, but uh, here's, so this is an example of why I think that the Christian message, the real Christian message can endure. Whereas this attempt that we've made to turn Christianity into a set of values. Okay. That set of values is fragile, but Christianity is the most subversive force on planet earth. It's the most socially subversive, most deeply individualistic, like radically deeply individualistic. Um, I wouldn't even say belief system influence in the, on the planet that if the, the seed of the gospel were to truly take root in people's hearts, they would find a level of personal agency that they don't even know exists. Now, if we can give that to people, if we can begin to say, no, this isn't a prefabricated set of values. This is you accepting uh, a very deep truth about who and what and why you are that will anchor you in yourself. I know that sounds selfish and all that, but, but Jesus doesn't say die to yourself. He says that you should die to yourself so that you can live. If you lose yourself, you'll find yourself. That the goal of, of this is to find ourselves. It's not to lose ourselves. And I, I think we've even taught that Christianity is, you know, this kind of martyrdom complex. And it's not. It is wisdom. It's, it's the best way to be. But because we've, we've bought into, I think, out of necessity, out of a desire to identify with a wider movement, to feel that we are having an influence on our culture, to grow bigger churches, that we've sold the family values narrative, that we have bought into the religious right. But these are all jockeying for influence and for power and for numbers. And none of those things are the product of faith. Just to the last, we never really named the third point. The third point was 
people are leaving Christianity because it can't compete in an open marketplace of ideas. So in 2007, the world changed, and the the, the marketplace of ideas uh, came into uh, our lives in a way it never had been before. The bubble was burst, and through our smartphones, we had access, uh, and kids, uh, all the way down to the level of kids, uh, had access to this world of ideas. And the, the version of Christianity that we had been practicing all these years could not compete. And that's why we're seeing change. Now, the last point is what you're touching on, which is the Christian message can't compete, not because it has failed, but because it has been changed. We changed it. So we somehow the gospel that our churches were teaching and emulating was somehow inherently flawed. I would say uh, to the idea of, of the gospel not competing in the marketplace that I, I really think that, and, and this is what grieves me, is that Christian leaders are failing to recognize the writing on the wall. So let, let's go back in time and let's imagine that you are the CEO of Kmart in the 1980s. Let's just keep having blue light specials. And there's a fundamental weakness in their market strategy that was exposed by Walmart. Okay, so now you're Walmart in 2022. The writing's on the wall. And I'm not saying Walmart will ever go away. I don't know if it's physically possible for Walmart to go away at this point, but, but they're suffering. Their stock shares have gone down for the first time in several years. And so there's a weakness, uh, or at least uh, something that is not consumer-based about how products are sold at Walmart that Amazon is able to overcome and to reveal. So there's this kind of a revealing of the weakness when somebody else comes to compete and when something's threatened. And I think this plummeting of uh, self-professed believers ought to call the church to ask, what have we been doing? Uh, you know, it, it's almost like we're all just lamenting, oh, this is bad. I hope it stops. And instead of saying, what have we done? Where have we done wrong? Because it's not that there's some evil influence that has risen up and become so so prevalent and so powerful and that this is the end of days. What's happened is that people are um, are able to access other ideas. That ought to say something about our message. A lot of churches, uh, even the kind of the politicized wing of the church, that's the narrative that they say is that these evil forces have risen up. This is the end of days. You know, yeah. we, we need we need to we need to forcibly, you know, protect our um, our values. We need to elect the people that are going to protect us. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the narrative that we we hear rather than looking in the mirror and say, huh, what you know, what do we need to change? Yeah. Yeah. About ourselves country, yeah. about our leaders. And yeah. Another thing that's said along those lines is um, that uh, well, something that church leaders lament, and I'm sure I've said this, uh, that how can we withstand the tide of the onslaught of the media messaging that is continual throughout the day, every day, when all we, the church, have uh, uh, access we, when we only have access to the kids and the 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 people of our church a couple hours a week at best, so that's oftentimes a comparison that's made. Um, and rather than looking and and it's a valid point, you know, of you know what what you expose yourself to constantly, you will be influenced by. Uh, but it does miss the point that Nathan's making, which is 
how, how, how do we need to reevaluate our message and our methods? Um, instead, it's just a criticism of the fact that the enemy's message is ever present. You're talking about, you know, one way to approach that issue is as the church. How do we, how do we, uh, how do we deal with this onslaught of media consumption that's at everyone's fingertips? And so I, I think typically the answer a lot of people come back with is we'll have Christian versions of media. And so, okay, well, we'll tell everybody they need to listen to Christian music and Christian podcasts and uh, Christian or Christian like uh, news media. Yeah. Christian movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all, all the things. And so th that, that somehow is a solution is that we'll, we'll have a replacement of ideas um, rather than, making sure that we have a gospel message that it is, like you said, so subversive that regardless of what is out there, the marketplace of ideas that you've been, <laughs> that this seed has been planted, that it's going to subvert whatever is out there. Sadly, what we've done is, is that I, th I think that a lot of the people who are defecting are doing so over the idea of our, um, being in bed uh, with the right-wing politics and the religious right. So our response is to become even more right-winged, even more mixed up. Trump is our savior. We finally have a champion who will dispel the powers of darkness and, and what a, what a screwed up notion that is. Um, but people have come by it very honestly, um, in that they have imbibed this narrative all along. You mentioned also making an idol out of family. And then I think you touched on briefly, but I think another big issue is the um, the intellectual viability uh, of the faith in the face of science and reason. You know, I think it was really in the, in the Enlightenment and the, the coming age of reason that that's when Europe really started their transition. But we were somehow insulated, or we insulated ourselves in America from a lot of that. Even though it's there, I think we kind of blinded ourselves. The so church has been able to be in the bubble for uh, a lot longer than Europe did. Yeah, Europe went through the, this transition and it, it embraced... Darwinian evolution. Yeah, Darwinian evolution, existentialism, and other stuff, and really kind of moved on in, in a way because they... I think they challenged that that same marketplace of ideas and, and brought in some other things. Now, the, the, there are some unique challenges there. You know, I won't go into history, but we... I think a couple of world wars were the, the culmination of some of those ideas. I think it's just that America is just now hitting that point. It was the, like, I think you're saying the point you're making is the internet is what kind of finally tipped, kind of tipped the hand for the American culture where we were very much, I, I think we had protected and insulated ourselves from what was going on in a lot of Europe and had fed ourselves this narrative for many years that somehow we were you know, this exceptional, um, version of, you know, Israel for our time or something like that. God's chosen. And it's just, we can't keep that charade up much longer. So what to get, it can kind of get back to this, like what, it, what is the essential message that we yeah. lost? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, there's some things out of whack. And I, I, I think, you know, even, even the, the people that, you know, are trying their best to, to, to defend what they they see as still good things about the American church. What is the thing that we 
we're trying to like hold on to here? Well, in the first century, they didn't have a lot of the advantages that we've had in America. They didn't have an established religion. You just kind of dawned on me going through uh, the book of Romans as Paul is saying, I want you to be established. <laughs> that there were people all over the spectrum that, that this is a new thing. It's really a call to turn your back on your ancestral religion and uh, that which is established and accepted in the public sphere. Um, and that was kind of a crazy thing. And it wasn't like, uh, if you look at, say, the genesis of um, Islam or that of the Mormon church, which the two are basically identical, that there's this retreat into um, a, a protected space, a descent into the backwater and, so that you can marshal your forces. So whether it's, you know, Joseph Smith taking everybody out to Utah and, and where nobody is yet, or whether it's um, Muhammad who tries to come into Mecca, but is immediately routed and sent out to Medina, where he can now begin to build a following out in the backwater among the uneducated and then come with military might and take over. You, you've got to pull people away from the forum of ideas. Um, so that you can indoctrinate them fully and then begin to use them to strong arm people who are on the fence, people who maybe aren't convinced. Okay. And, and that's how religions oftentimes emerge and grow. Uh, with Christianity, it was very urban. It was like, let's hit town. Let's go to where people are talking about these things. Let's go into the synagogue. Let's go to the marketplace. Let's go to Mars Hill. And let's confront, point blank, those who are educated advocates of another idea. Um, that approach is very different from this attempt to shelter. And really, the homeschool movement in America is a lot like Joseph Smith. <laughs> you know, it's a lot like moving out to Medina and saying, let's, let's get to a protected space. Let's indoctrinate the crud out of our people, and then we'll release them to be a force for this indoctrination. But the problem is, is that those protected spaces don't exist anymore. But if your message is false, you need that protected space. If you go to Saudi Arabia today, guess what? You're not going to go out and just read the Bible in public. Okay. If you are a Mormon, guess what? You, you are not allowed to read everything that comes across your feed or your screen. You are told, do not read any anti-Mormon thing. Basically, if it disagrees with the church, don't read it. Jehovah's Witnesses are demographically the most impoverished religious group in America because they prohibit their people from going to secular universities. Christianity said, hey, you know, you rabbis, hear the message. You at Mars Hill and you thinkers and you intellectuals, uh, if you read the New Testament, it is addressing the conversation about the meaning of life and the origin of, of humanity and everything, if you can really read through in that Greek and you can say, well, Paul is versed in Aristotle. He knows Plato. He's aware of, of these other belief systems. He's, he's well-trained in Judaism. And yet he has this simple story about a guy who died on a cross and rose again and is coming back. And that's it. That's all he's got. He doesn't have a New Testament. He's not open to the book of Matthew, right? He has this announcement. And he has an old book. And so this is the very antithesis of creating a safe space in a bubble. This is going into other people's bubbles with a sharp stick and just pow, 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 pow. And that's how Christianity grew and, and spread. Our New Testament is the result of this stick. It's not a bubble in and of itself trying to defend itself from other people's sticks. It is the stick.
And, and, and what we have to understand is, is until we can articulate it with a fine enough point so that it can pierce other things, then it's not going to do any good. So that's kind of what I'm hoping that we will do is that we will back up and we'll say, wait a minute, our whole approach has been wrong and it's proven wrong now by not, not some attack, but just the revelation of all of the other belief systems. And, and it's, if, if what we're teaching is threatened by easy access to information and other ideas, what we're teaching doesn't need to be taught. What we're really trying to do series is recover the faith that we, that, uh, that can stand in the marketplace of ideas. That's the hope. Yeah. There is really the only thing worth having. We've mentioned this in other podcasts, but it's gotta be intellectually plausible. Faith isn't believing what you know can't be so. That's God asking us to kill a part of ourselves that he created. Um, it has to at least be intellectually plausible. It can't be you have to accept that the sky is red. You can point to morning and evening, see the sky's red, you finally see it. We can't say things that we know are false in our heart of hearts. We can't just dig in deeper. And just as there's a sector of Christianity that has become more right-wing, so there's a sector of Christianity that has become more naive, more scientifically regressive. <laughs> it's, it's just this pushback that we get when I think that when people are being disproven, they, they begin to just, they dig in. And boy, that's just not going to help us. It's not going to help the cause. Thanks everyone for joining us. Stay tuned for more, where you can always reach out to us online. Yeah, go to faithrecoverypodcast.com, fill out the little form. Or... All right, see you next time.